Welcome to SCOTUScast, a project of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy Studies. Our contributors join us from around the country to bring you expert commentary on U.S. Supreme Court cases as they are argued and decisions are issued. The Federalist Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy issues. All expressions of opinion are those of the speaker. Thank you for joining us for this post-argument episode of SCOTUScast, Mandatory Criminal Alien Detention Edition. I'm your host, Bridget Flaherty. On October 10th, 2018, the Supreme Court heard argument in Nielsen v. Priab, a case involving the exemption of criminal alien from mandatory detention without bond due to a delay in arrest after release from criminal custody. Subsection 1226C of the Immigration and Naturalization Act, the INA, provides for the mandatory detention of criminal aliens, quote, when they are released, end quote, from criminal custody, and for the holding of these aliens without bond. The three plaintiffs in this case are lawful permanent residents who have committed crimes that could lead to their removal from the United States, but after serving their criminal sentence, were released and returned to their families and communities in the United States. However, years later, each was arrested by immigration authorities and detained without bond hearings under subsection 1226C. The plaintiffs filed a class action petition for habeas relief in district court, arguing that since they were not detained, quote, when released, from criminal custody, they are not subject to mandatory detention under subsection 1226C. The district court granted their motion for class certification, issued a preliminary injunction requiring the government to provide all class members with bond hearings under subsection 1226A, and concluded that under subsection 1226C, aliens can be held without bond only if taken into immigration custody immediately upon release from criminal custody, not if there is a lengthy gap after their release. Their government appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, arguing that the statute, quote, does not suggest that immigration officials lose authority if they delay. The Ninth Circuit affirmed the district court's class certification order and preliminary injunction, and held that the mandatory detention provision of Subsection 1226C applies only to those criminal aliens detained promptly after their release from criminal custody, not to those detained long after. The U.S. Supreme Court granted certiori to determine whether a criminal alien becomes exempt from mandatory detention under subsection 1226C if, after the alien is released from criminal custody, the Department of Homeland Security does not take him into immigration custody immediately. And now, to discuss the case, we have Kent Scheidegger, Legal Director and General Counsel at the Criminal Justice Legal Foundation. On Wednesday, October 10th, the United States Supreme Court waded into a thicket of interpretation created by a statute that has been amended many times, and not always carefully. The case of Nielsen v. Preap involves a section of immigration law, 8 U.S.C. section 1226C, that provides for mandatory arrest and detention without a bail hearing for certain deportable aliens that Congress deems particularly dangerous. The statute was previously attacked as unconstitutional, but the Supreme Court upheld it 15 years ago in DeMore v. Kim. The PREAP case involves an interpretational question of what aliens the statute applies to. The predecessor of this statute applied to aliens who had been convicted of a crime designated as an aggravated felony. Congress subsequently amended the definition of an aggravated felony to include crimes that one would not expect to come under that designation. It is even possible for a person to be convicted of misdemeanor theft 
and still be deemed guilty of a so-called aggravated felony for the purpose of federal immigration law. The harshness of that definition was one of the issues looming over the argument. Another looming issue was the policy of so-called sanctuary jurisdictions not to cooperate with immigration authorities and particularly not to inform them when they are about to release an alien previously convicted of a crime. Section 1226, Subdivision C, Paragraph 1, directs the Attorney General to take into custody any alien who falls into one of four listed subparagraphs, A through D. After the subparagraphs, the flesh language of Paragraph 1 directs that this be done when the alien is released from custody. This when language is carried over from earlier versions of the statute, which only applied to convictions for crime. But the subparagraphs under the who clause now include people who would not necessarily be in custody at all, such as aliens who are inadmissible by virtue of their affiliation with terrorist organizations. Paragraph 2 then prohibits release of, quote, an alien described in paragraph 1, unquote, with only narrow exceptions for witness protection and assistance in investigations. Therefore, for most aliens described in paragraph 1, detention is mandatory until completion of the deportation proceedings. The question of interpretation is what portions of paragraph 1 describe the alien subject to paragraph 2. Is it everyone contained in the WHO clause, the four categories of aliens determined by their criminal history or terrorist connections? Or is it limited to the subset of that group who are actually taken into federal custody when they are released? The Ninth Circuit in this case held that paragraph 2 only applies to that subset. The First Circuit and Bonk split evenly on the question. Four other circuits have held that the description is only the WHO clause and the when clause is a command of the Attorney General. Some of these decisions were in deference to an earlier decision to that effect by the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Both sides in this case claim that their reading of the statute is the straightforward and natural one. Arguing for the government, Assistant Solicitor General Zachary Tripp was promptly challenged by Justice Sotomayor on whether the when clause describes the aliens affected or not. Not until the 10th page of the transcript do Justices Ginsburg and Gorsuch enter the fray to ask whether there is any time limit at all, such that the bar on release could apply even 30 years down the road. Justice Kagan notes that some of the people in categories A through D have never been in custody at all, but she draws what is, in my view, the precisely wrong conclusion from that fact. If Congress intended this law to apply only to people who are arrested by immigration authorities when they are released from custody, it would make no sense to include people who have never been in custody. However, Justice Kagan evidently believes that this group cannot be detained under Subdivision C at all, but must be arrested and detained under a different and more lenient section of the same statute, Subdivision A. Justice Breyer notes the injustice of applying this strict no-bail rule to people who have been convicted of only relatively minor theft offenses when criminal prosecutions provide at least a consideration of bail to people accused of vastly more serious crimes. Indeed, one must wonder what the drafters of the 1996 amendments were thinking when they defined such minor offenses as aggravated felonies. Justice Breyer believes the statute is unconstitutional as applied, though he concedes that his view did not prevail in the cases that previously considered that question. Justice Gorsuch is also struck by the injustice of a mandatory arrest and detention many years after the fact for a relatively minor crime. 
The Assistant Solicitor General counters with the mirror image injustice that one of the plaintiffs in this case did get a bond hearing, was released, and subsequently murdered one person and attempted to murder another. He notes, correctly in my view, that Congress decided in 1996 that for a defined class of criminal or inadmissible aliens, it could not trust the immigration judges to decide who could be safely released, and it directed that they all be detained until their deportation cases were decided. He notes that the constitutional question was decided in 2003 in DeMar v. Kim and is not the question presented in this case. Justice Alito also notes that the constitutional question is not the question presented and that courts would have jurisdiction to hear a challenge to the statute as applied to a particular case. Cecilia Wang argued on behalf of the aliens. She talked for four pages of transcript without interruption, which is usually a good sign for the advocate. Her contention is that when paragraph 2 refers to the aliens described in paragraph 1, that group is limited by both the who clause and the when clause, such that any alien who is not detained immediately escapes the mandatory detention provision and comes under the more lenient subdivision A, where he gets a bail hearing. Justice Ginsburg notes the anomaly that two aliens can be convicted of identical crimes, and under Ms. Wang's interpretation, one of them would get a bail hearing and the other would not, merely because one was picked up immediately and the other was not picked up for two years. Why does that make sense, she asks. Ms. Wang's primary response is that this result follows from the language of the statute. However, that is the fallacy of assuming the conclusion. The meaning of the language of the statute is the essence of the dispute, and the illogical result that Justice Ginsburg notes is a reason not to interpret it that way. Justices Alito and Kavanaugh ask about how close in time the arrest must follow the release for paragraph 2 to apply. The Ninth Circuit had said, quote, reasonable degree of immediacy, unquote. Justice Alito noted the difficulty of prompt arrest, particularly in California and other so-called sanctuary jurisdictions that refuse to inform the immigration authorities of release. Ms. Wang stuck to her guns on this point, defending that standard, which apparently means within a day, and certainly less than two days, regardless of the reason for the delay. That answer drew skepticism from Justice Breyer and Chief Justice Roberts as well. Even Justice Sotomayor, who appears to be overall the most favorable to the alien's position, did not seem to buy the suggestion that there can be a cutoff at a short interval of time without considering the reasons for it. Justice Gorsuch returned to the language of the statute and asked a grammar question. The when clause, he says, is an adverbial phrase, and an adverbial phrase normally modifies a verb, such as, quote, shall take into custody, end quote, and not a noun, such as alien. Ms. Wang offers an example of when an adverbial phrase could modify a noun, but Justice Gorsuch does not seem convinced. Justice Kavanaugh questions the legitimacy of a court making up a time limit, such as 48 hours, and reading it into the statute. Congress was surely aware that not all of the aliens it directed be taken into custody would be taken immediately, and if it intended a time limit, it could have easily written one in. Justice Alito returns to the same problem that Justice Ginsburg brought up early in the argument. If Congress believed that a certain class of aliens was dangerous and needed to be detained, it makes no sense to think that the need is any less, simply because an alien had been out for a week before being arrested. Justice Breyer asks if the court should infer a six-month limitation as it did in a somewhat related situation in Zadvidas versus Davis. 
Ms. Wang responds that this would be, quote, an extraordinary amount of time, end quote. It might not be wise for her to hold on so hard to the Ninth Circuit's severe standard, but we will see when the decision comes out. Poorly written statutes make hard cases, and this one is harder than most. In purely logical terms, the straightforward answer to the puzzle is that the who clause of paragraph 1 is the description of the aliens subject to paragraph 2. However, the harshness of the immigration law's treatment of some minor offenses may tempt the court into an exercise of interpretive origami. The result cannot be predicted with any certainty from oral argument, and as usual, we must wait for the opinion. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCOTUScast. SCOTUScast is a project of the Federalist Society, a not-for-profit educational organization of conservative and libertarian law students, law professors, and lawyers, founded upon the principles that the state exists to preserve freedom, that the separation of governmental powers is central to our Constitution, and that it is emphatically the province and duty of the judiciary to say what the law is, not what it should be. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast series, including SCOTUScast and Practice Group Podcasts, on iTunes or Google Play. For an archive of past podcasts, as well as audio and video of past Federalist Society events, please visit our website at fedsoc.org multimedia. That's F-E-D-S-O-C multimedia. This has been a FedSoc audio production.